own values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I want to thank Brittany Needhart uh, from Phoenix. She won $100 as part of our 100 Days of Giving, as you've heard us talk about. Uh, KTAR has been a part of this community for almost 100 years. We'll be celebrating that anniversary in June, and we are so thankful to the Valley that's embraced us for all that time. So we want to give you 100 bucks every single day of the week during the weekdays, and we were going to give a $100 to the charity of your choice. Her choice was the Love Pup Foundation, so we're giving 100 bucks to that organization as well as to Brittany. You could win this $100 by texting the number 100 to 411-923. That's 100 to 411-923. Let's get an update. Um, uh, Over the weekend, I want you to hear the comments of the president again, what the president had to say over the weekend that caused so much controversy. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. So he was talking, he said he was talking about, he was giving his personal opinion on what was going on. I want you to hear now when he was asked about this. Do you believe what you said, that Putin can't remain in power? Or do you now regret saying that because your government has been trying to walk that back? Did your words complicate matters? The fact of the matter is I was expressing the more outrage I felt toward the way Putin is dealing and the actions of this man. Just brutality of half the children in Ukraine. I just come from being with those families. But I want to make it clear, I wasn't then, nor am I now, articulating a policy change. I was expressing the moral outrage that I feel, and I make no apologies for it. My my personal feelings. Okay, so uh, again, and I understand the personal feelings, and the president saying that I was just there, I was with those families, I was expressing my personal feelings, except everyone seems to understand, except for the president, I guess, that when you speak not just on behalf of the American people, you were in Warsaw as a guest, and you were also representing NATO. So you were representing the United States, and you were representing a host of other nations. And when you say something like that, it sent a ripple effect. And how was this? How was this interpreted by other world leaders? So this is Peter Ducey um, talking with the president about how other world leaders interpreted those comments. Are you worried that other leaders in the world are going to start to doubt that America is back if some of these big things that you say on the world stage keep getting walked back? What's getting walked back? It sounded like just in the last couple of days, it sounded like you told U.S. troops they were going to Ukraine. It sounded like you said it was possible. The U.S. would use a chemical weapon, and it sounded like you were calling for regime change in Russia. And we know none of the three occurred. None of the three. Occurred. None of the three. Mr. President, you, you, you interpret the language that way. I was talking to the troops. We we're talking about helping train the Ukrainian troops that are in Poland. And Peter Ducey, whether you like the adversarial relationship with the president or not, is 100 percent right that those things were said and interpreted not just by people that listen to Fox News. But they were interpreted by world leaders as comments that were outside of what the consensus was with NATO countries. And this is why it's so important, because we know we know that Vladimir Putin is a misinformation mastermind. The guy is so good at it. It's what he's done his entire career, his entire career. And it's misinformation. You, uh, so let's let's be fair. 
Politically in this country, the left would say that it was Russian influence in the election that got Donald Trump to beat Hillary Clinton. They would say he was such a master at misinformation, whether it was Facebook or other tools he used to warp the election and sway people just enough to get Donald Trump over the hump in certain districts. I don't subscribe to that ideology, but they do. They believe he is that good at misinformation that he was able to sway the American people. And how they voted in 2016. We have a president who went on the world stage and said, this man cannot remain in power. Do you not believe that with the misinformation that Vladimir Putin is giving to his own people, the ideal situation would be that the people of Russia, starting with the elites, the oligarchs and the rest, they would stand up and say, no more. You've got to stop this. Knock it off. We don't support this. The people en masse would rise up and say, no more. That's an ideal situation from within Russia. We know the the grip that the uh, Vladimir Putin and his government has on the state media and the misinformation that they are always giving their people. What did they say to their people? That this isn't true, that the Ukrainians were lining up with NATO to invade Russia. They're freedom fighters. Because the people in these separatist areas of Ukraine are being uh, are being marginalized and injured and we have to protect them. And we're freedom fighters. We aren't going in there to take over the country. We're going in there to liberate people. That was the misinformation. One of the other things is that we can't allow Ukraine to become a NATO country because then NATO will be on our doorstep. And we all know that NATO wants to invade Russia and take over Russia. That's part of the narrative that's being sold to the Russian people. When you then have the American president, after a meeting for days with NATO leaders, stand up and says to the world, this man can't remain in power. That becomes the misinformation machine in Russia. The NATO countries want to do us in. We are the victims here. We're not victimizers. We're not killing innocent children in Ukraine. We're not indiscriminately bombing civilians. We're not doing those things. As a matter of fact, take a look at what the American president is saying. On behalf of NATO countries, they want to come in and do us harm, and we aren't going to let that happen. We're going to stand up as a proud Russia, and we're going to fight back and make sure they don't invade us. That's the messaging. And he puts a stronger stranglehold on his position because now the people, being patriots like they are, will rise up and say, just like the Ukrainian people are defending their land and saying, we will fight to the death of every Ukrainian. In order to get us out, you're going to have to take us all out. And he's trying to build that same enthusiasm and patriotism in Russia, and we're helping him do it with the things that are being said by our leadership. So anybody who thinks that this is just politics, it isn't. It isn't just politics. This is important on every level. So this is an NBC News report. How do the American people feel about the handling of Ukraine by this administration? Amid this crisis, President Biden's approval rating is down to 40 percent, 55 percent disapprove. In a new NBC News poll that also found about seven in 10 Americans express low confidence in the president's ability to deal with the war in Ukraine. So it's not, again, it's not just a political right. This isn't just a right versus left battle. It is a right versus wrong battle. It's one of the reasons why I respect independent voters so much, because they are becoming a much bigger demographic every single year. And both political parties should be learning a lesson from this, that independent voters, 
are making up the immense number of the demographic. They are the ones making the decision ultimately. Democrats are going to vote for Democrats. Republicans are going to vote for Republicans. Largely, there are some exceptions, but all in all, parties know where they're going to vote. With a growing number of independent voters, if we don't look at what those people who have no allegiance to a political party, if we don't listen to their opinions, we're going to lose. Whatever party you're in, I'm speaking to both parties. And when you have poll numbers like that, the independent voters that don't care if there's an R or a D next to your name, they are standing on right and wrong. And they don't like what they see. And I don't blame them. They have every reason not to. Every reason not to. Going to talk about oil is now a governor, a Republican governor is speaking out against the Biden administration, specifically about Venezuela. But we're going to talk about oil prices, where they're going, what might happen and you and what you're going to pay at the pump. It's still a big topic for people. And we're going to discuss it in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, we talk about pain at the pump and what's been said. We keep hearing over and over again. First of all, it's Putin's price increase. Not true completely. Um, we keep hearing that it's greedy oil companies. Definitely not the case. Um And the federal government wants to take no responsibility. So I want to read just a couple of things to you because it has been my opinion that because climate change has led the way with this presidency, that everything they do goes through the prism of climate change being the number one issue we're facing, not the war in in um, in Europe, not uh, inflation here in the U.S., not the fallout from covid-19. Climate change, the number one issue. We've heard the president say it. We've heard others in the administration say it. So let's start with the energy secretary, Granholm. She made this comment within the last couple of days. It may have been yesterday, but within the last couple of days, this is what she said. If you drive an electric vehicle, especially when you consider these outrageous gas prices today, if you have a 15 gallon tank, which is the average size of a tank today, and you went to fill it up, on average, if you had to pay the average gas price across the country, which is about $3.80, you'd be paying 54 bucks to fill up your tank. That's 54 bucks. If you had an electric vehicle that would take you the same distance, about 300 miles, and you plugged it in at home, it would cost you about 12 bucks. So can you see the direction? If you remember, go, go back, go back to the Obama administration and what their assault on the coal industry, which was they were going to get rid of it, that they weren't going to make alternative fuels cheaper. They were going to make coal so expensive that it would be impossible to use. Uh, the um, When Hillary Clinton ran, she made the same promise. She was told to stay out of West Virginia. They told her, don't even bother coming here. I mean, it's not even worth your time during the campaign because they said, we are going to destroy this industry. We are going to make it so cost ineffective that the a choice will be this these other alternative sources who can afford an electric vehicle by the way this is what's odd if you have enough money to buy an electric vehicle the gas prices are probably not crippling you number 1 because you probably own a home not everybody but you have a residence a single family dwelling The majority of the working people that this is crippling are people that live in apartments, live in condominiums. They have roommates. How many chargers are you going to put in? You have a house that people are renting now. How many people can afford rent in a home by themselves? 
What if it's a two car family? Now you've got to get two chargers. It, this uh, none of these things are thought through. But you got the energy secretary saying, just get a just get an electric car. By the way, if you're homeless, just buy a house. I mean, let's you know, let's we can solve this problem. If you're if you're homeless, just buy a house. If you're hungry, just go buy a meal. I mean, we're we're solving problems everywhere, aren't we? So here's a list of just a couple of things. On January 20th, the president signed an executive order directing the federal government to review and rescind President Trump's policies that made us energy independent. His first actions included increasing emission regulations, restricting domestic energy, and he killed the Keystone Pipeline. Price for a gallon of gas on average in the country on that day was $2.37. Talk about the good old days. Summer of 2021, the anti-fossil fuel actions by the Biden administration, including a Department of Justice climate action plan, ramped up. That would direct buildings away from the use of fossil fuel and energy sources. By September, the national gas average was at $3.17 a gallon. So it went on inauguration day, day number one, it went from $2.00. Um, and 37 cents mid-april it was at 285 by september it was three dollars and 17 cents a gallon not even a whiff of anything with ukraine in it yet they continued through the fall to rescind or revoke the actions and the policies of the previous administration that incentivized american energy and promoted safe clean drilling and production They attempted to install more anti-fossil fuel cronies in the government. Uh, I'm reading from a story, obviously. And in November, the average gas price rose past $3.41 a gallon. In the first months of 22, he kept his foot on the gas, which is obviously pun intended, and delaying permits for new oil and gas leases, setting stricter standards for vehicle and power generation emissions, and began hiring Clean Energy Corps. The average price went up to $3.44 a gallon. So you can see at every turn, the policy shift of this administration has directly led to the increase in fuel costs. Now, again, depending on where you stand... You either think this is a necessary, brave, bold move, or you've got to connect what you're paying at the pump to the ideals and policies of this administration. Lastly, um, the governor of Maryland, uh, Larry Hogan, um, takes aim at the Biden administration for potentially lifting sanctions on Venezuela. So I want you to think again how important it is to this president that the U.S. don't that we do not increase production on our own or at least limits what we are able to do here and not turning it loose. We have gone from one regime like Putin and said we're no longer going to buy your oil and we've explored deals with Venezuela and the Iranians. Does that sound like an improvement of the people you're enriching with your dollars? Because it doesn't to me. And that's how important it is. This president would rather... Stop sanctions against the Iranians or the Venezuelans, then open up and make us energy independent again with the same stroke of the same pen that he did to lock it back down or at least diminish it. And that is what the American people are upset about. They want it to be different.
We're going to talk specifically about a recession. Are we headed toward a recession? Really good news in Phoenix, in the Phoenix metro area of where our economy is heading. But are we heading for a cliff? We've got some experts that are saying it might be inevitable based on some of the numbers. We'll talk about them next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I hope you'll subscribe to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. It's easy to do on any device. Doesn't matter if it's Android or Apple. It's simple, and you'll never miss a minute of the show again. It's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, brought to you this week by my friend Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley, where you can sell your home and get the most money for cash at highestprice.com. That's highestprice.com. Um... The Fed's, record, um, the Fed's record on triggering a recession while trying to fix inflation is a headline at a political website. The concerns in this country that we're going to go into a, uh, into a recession are real concerns. Now, am I that worried about it here in Arizona? No, I think we have set ourselves up for success in Arizona. We, The biggest thing that we are facing here is affordable housing. couple of reasons. We aren't building them fast enough, which is a simple answer. The other is the enormous number of people that are coming here. They're coming here for climate. They're coming here for opportunity. They're coming here for a multitude of reasons, and they're not going to stop. Maricopa County was the fastest growing county in the nation last year, and it's going to continue, I think, on that pace. When you look at what uh, – you look back historically at some things we've done because there are things we need to do better. Um, I've grown up – I've been – I was born in Ohio. I was born in Cleveland and lived in northeast farm country, Ohio, until I was 10. And I don't remember much about the area. I remember where I grew up in Florida and what they've done and how they've done things differently. And I can tell you that as much as we complain about traffic and other things here, go to other major cities. And you can see that Arizona, the Arizona Department of Transportation, has done a very good job of staying ahead of growth – and in, in much better than other cities. Now, I know at certain times of the day, it doesn't feel that way. Trying to get through the tunnel at four o'clock in the afternoon going west, it doesn't feel like that there's not a lot of traffic here. But if you look at the freeways we've built in the last 20 years, you look at the expansion of the South 202, now south of Ahwatukee and working its way north to about, what, 67th Avenue or 59th Avenue and the I-10 in the West Valley. The expansion of the 101, the uh, uh, the building of the 303. We, are, we have seen a lot of growth because of freeways. And now if you look in those areas, you know, the 303 was a dream for such a long time. And now you look at that major company, that chip company and the chemical company that's going to feed it that are being built in the Northwest Valley. So all of those homes that people built years ago that were in the middle of nowhere and what those home values are going to do. So we've done a lot of really good things. We've expanded the freeways. We've done it in a smart way. We've done it in a way that fosters really good growth. We have gotten companies to come to the state of Arizona, industry to come here to bring with them high-paying jobs. Where we are lagging is education. We know that we have got to do a better job of educating children because parents are going to be coming here from schools that perform much better. And what happens with kids that come from high-performing states and they go into a state that's not as high-performing where there's a lot more remedial education going on or a slower education system to catch kids up, kids get bored. And you're going to see a lot of kids that have been excellent students not as excellent because they're kind of bored. They're not being challenged. 
We have to do a better job of education, there's no doubt. And we have to do a better job with public safety. We are starting to fall into cities around the state. We are starting to fall into a trap. And in when you look at how Phoenix has been, and I've been here for 27 years, I'll give you an example. When I first moved here, um, we were number one, I believe, in the country in auto theft. Number one. And I had a truck at that time. I had a, a newer truck. It got stolen out of the same parking spot twice in a year and a half. And they found it both times in the same apartment complex on the border in Douglas. So I don't know if it was the same guys that stole my truck or not. But my vehicle got stolen twice in a year and a half. Once on my birthday. And then in a span of a couple of years, there were some federal changes in laws that happened that helped. But what the city of Phoenix was able to do is they had enough cops where they were able to focus in their auto theft bureau and really start knocking down these auto theft rings. And we weren't even a few years later. Phoenix was not even in the top 50 in auto theft at that time. There were a multitude of things that went into it, but law enforcement's role played a big part in it. We don't have that ability anymore. We have officers being taken out of specialty details, detective bureaus, and other investigative bureaus, and they're being put back on patrol. And so we are going to start giving the upper hand based on numbers to the criminal element, and it's going to be a lot harder to put that genie back in the bottle than it is to keep the lid on the bottle. And we got to stop falling into that trap, whether it's the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office or police agencies across all of our cities. The other thing, we talked with Ali Party. She is the PIO from Phoenix Fire today. And we talk about public safety in that regard, in, in paramedics and firefighters. The danger of having a city that grows so quickly that you don't have coverage when you need it. And I, I imagine it's got to keep leadership in the fire department up at night when it comes to paramedics and it comes to a firefighters. You know, if you've got a multiple incidents happening in an area, who is the one that covers? Do you have enough fire trucks to cover? We had the incident in the northwest, uh, I'm sorry, the northeast valley, northeast Phoenix in the last few years where they had a fire station that was working out of a hotel. And it shut down in the evening, which meant the closest fire truck was miles further away. House fire happens and the house goes up in flames because there's not the right response time. Those are all real concerns in public safety. And I think it's something that we have to get back to. We can't allow our city governments, and this is our responsibility as voters, we can't allow our city governments to get caught up in these defund the police and all of these other movements because it's driving good people away from these professions, or at least from these cities. The city of Phoenix is a city that I am so proud of. I love it here. And I talk to my friends when I go back home, when I go back to Florida to visit my family and friends that I grew up with. I brag about Phoenix and how much I love living here. I've been here longer than I was in Florida. I've been here for 27 years plus. And I absolutely fell in love with this state and this city. And I don't want to see it go the way with bad crime in areas. And we should be able to, as a society, we should demand of our government to keep us on the path. The city of Phoenix has just cracked the top five in a, in a poll on, on, uh, on business growth, on growth and how good it is. And it's something that's great. It's performance rankings by the Milken Institute's prestigious best performing cities list. We're number four in the nation now. We've jumped three spots.
Well, we if we want to continue down that path, if we want to be a livable city and a high-performing city, we've got to put the focus back on the things that got us there, which is safety to begin with. And let's educate our kids. I know we can do it, but there's got to be the same intentional effort that there was made in growing this state and enticing business and industry to come here. We have to be just as intentional in keeping up with public safety like we did with roads. I think it's ironic, and the last thing I'll say on the, on this topic is uh, I think it's ironic that ADOT has done such a great job of expanding our freeway system here in the valley and you know around the entire valley, but the state of Arizona really hasn't grown in with DPS. You know, you want to know why crashes are happening and people are driving faster and things are happening the way they are? They're outmanned. There's not enough cops, not enough troopers to cover the freeways. And we've got to refocus on those things and make sure that those things are happening. What we're going to do coming up in just a moment is uh, today is National Vietnam Veterans Day. I want to tell you a story about the Vietnam veterans that have influenced my life and why, because they have done my family such a big service. And it's not just my family, it's the entire country. But we're going to honor the men and women and tell you why this day is so significant and so important. So we'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. There is a very special group of people that are being honored today. It is National Vietnam War Veterans Day. Um, This was originally declared uh, by President Obama, but it was signed into law by President Trump five years later. Um, So in 2012, President Obama proclaimed the holiday, and then uh, Trump signed it into law in 2017, five years later. So it's a relatively new holiday, and um, we do have a Veterans Day that's already set aside, which I think every day should be Veterans Day. We have such a veteran-rich community. But I wanted to share something because this struck a nerve with me. Um, when my brother was killed in Iraq, the first group of people that reached out to us outside of close family and friends were Vietnam veterans. And um, one in one case in particular, um, I was at my brother's home. I flew back home to be with my family right after we got the news. And my brother and his wife, both are cops. Their phone numbers are unlisted. Their addresses are unlisted for obvious safety reasons. And some guy ended up getting my brother's phone number by calling some of the florists in town and finally convincing them that he wasn't a nutcase. And uh, he called the home. I answered the phone and he said, I own a deli in town. I'm a Vietnam veteran and I want to bring some food to your family. And he brought us this huge tray of food, but it wasn't the food that he brought that mattered. He handed me the food and hugged my mom and said, when I, when we came home, people spit at us and we want you to know no one feels this way about what your boy did. And he cried with my mother. And that November, when my brother was inducted into the war memorial in my hometown, all of those Vietnam veterans showed up. They showed up. They stood in the back. They wouldn't sit. And none of them left until they hugged my mother. None of them. What we did to the Vietnam veterans as a country was at the very minimum, we didn't recognize them for their service at the time. And the conflict within America about that war spilled over onto the people that it had no business spilling over onto. And it was the Vietnam veterans. Um, 
The people that served in Vietnam went and followed orders. They weren't baby killers. They weren't any of those things. These were American soldiers and troops. And they came home in many cases, not in all cases, but in many cases, they were told, don't wear your uniform when you go into certain airports. And they were spit on and they were called baby killers. And we treated them horribly. And I don't know how significant or how often this happens, but I was with a group of Vietnam veterans years ago. And um, when they didn't know each other, this group of people it was very interesting. If it was it was veterans that were meeting each other for the first time from Vietnam, they welcomed each other home. They would say welcome home as a common greeting. Now, I don't know if that's widespread through the, the Vietnam veteran community or not, but I saw it happen. And they explained to me that no one welcomed them home. So they welcome each other home. And I, I was I was struck by that because in the OEF, OIF, Gulf War, whatever you want to call veteran era, that generation was cared for by the Vietnam veterans. The Vietnam veterans served their country twice. They made a concerted effort to make sure that this generation or the next generation of combat veteran was greeted properly when they came home. So a, a large amount of the patriotism and the thankfulness of service that we all now are, have become accustomed to, they didn't enjoy. They got the opposite treatment when they came home. And instead of living in their grief and being angry at the world, they turned around and said, we're going to make sure it doesn't happen to the next generation, which I think shows the greatness of the Vietnam veterans. I think our, the men and women that served in our military, whether they are combat veterans or not, deserve a great amount of our respect on every day. But when you have a group that was so kind of singled out and treated so horribly as the Vietnam veterans were, for them to be the ones that lead the charge to make sure that this generation of veteran isn't treated that way, it shows you the character that these people, these men and women show. And it also shows you the brotherhood and sisterhood that the military provides to look out for the younger generation and make sure that what happened to you didn't happen to them. So I just wanted to set a minute aside on the show this morning to tell that story and thank those Vietnam veterans for reaching out to families like mine and people in the generation that followed you in combat. I think it's we don't thank you enough. And uh, for the service that you provided in that war, in that conflict. And the service that you provided your your country in the years after, um, I think it's something we all should be mindful of. I'm thrilled that there is a National Vietnam Veterans Day and that we're celebrating it today. So when you see those guys out there that are wearing the Vietnam veteran hats, remember what badasses they were at one time in their life, and they still are, and they're still serving their community. So we owe them a big thank you. And uh, you know, on behalf of for what what voice I have in the community, I say this to Vietnam veterans every time I meet them: we should have welcomed you home. Alone long time ago and from the bottom of our hearts we want you to hear us say welcome home so uh that's you know vet national vietnam veterans today be a little more mindful when you look around if you see a veteran thank them for their service because it's the vietnam veterans day today coming up just after 11 o'clock we're going to talk a little bit about covid19 but how should it be handled because there's good and bad and what makes one good and one bad we'll talk about it next